Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon. And in today's episode, I'm really excited because we're talking with Mandy Ellison. And Mandy helps uh, business owners with established businesses really transform into what she calls a hands-off CEO. And I know from all of the business owners that I've talked to over the years that that's like a dream, often far off into the future for most business owners. Um, in fact, most are trapped in their businesses. And um, and so I'm really excited to talk with Mandy uh, today about how she guides business owners to get there so that they can kind of be hands off and have freedom and enjoy the profits that they're creating in their business without having to be tied into the day to day. So, uh, Mandy, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO podcast. Really excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Steve. It's my pleasure. So, I, you know, let's get started maybe with um, giving everybody a little bit of background about how you got into business, how you started uh, your current business and, and really what motivated you to do that. Okay. Thanks for that. You know, I, I'm really excited to be on your podcast here today because I love the topic of being unstoppable. I think that if there's, there, there's one thing that I'm good at, it's being unstoppable. And there's a lot of other things I'm not good at, but by being persistent, it's allowed me to push forward a lot further than maybe some other people who might've had more raw talent in certain areas than me. And then I've learned, um, as I go along. So how I got started in business is I was a manager for another business and I was seeing that I had a real talent for putting together their marketing processes and just basically making this company um, more profitable and doing it in a way that required very little time and energy out of me because I, I had set everything to just orchestrate perfectly. And I was making a lot of money for them and I'm like, I could do this for myself too. So I went out and I started a, a design company a, a graphic design company. That was the first idea. And um, I very quickly realized that this this was at the time where things were starting to change and that the digital world was really uh, picking up fast. Not a lot of people wanted graphic design services, as I found out. And everyone wanted a website. And I didn't know how to design a website. Uh, I didn't know how to code. So I said, well, you know what? Everyone's telling me this is what they want, so I better figure it out. So I went to the Multnomah County Library. This is in Portland. And if you know this, li this library downtown, it is a huge library, and it's just covered with bookcases on every subject. So I went and I took I, – I, I pretty much read an entire bookcase of how to design websites and code them, and I learned how to do it. And I just – I figured it out, and um, that, was, that was something that has – has stuck with me in how to accomplish the things that seems impossible. And I figured it out and I made a lot of money as I figured it out, which was a lot of fun. And I proceeded on with this business. And then, um, there was a point where I got to in this business and I realized that this business did not look like the business that I had been managing for this other company. It was actually quite a mess. And, um, I wasn't able to quite translate what I had learned as a manager and, and had how much money I had made for them and, and the freedom I had created for myself in my own business. And it was, it was incredibly frustrating because I was, I was about nine months pregnant, very big. And, um, 
I was exhausted and I had all these clients that were waiting for their projects to be completed and they weren't quite helping me along with it. And I was like right at the end there and I just wanted to just be done and have my maternity time. But here I, I had all this work that I had to do and I'm just like, this sucks. I hated the, the business that I created for, my, for myself at this moment. And it, it just really irked me because I knew how to do it, but there was just like a, a disconnect there. And I, and I was so frustrated with myself because I should have had this business that could have run without me while I was, um, well, I needed this maternity time off to be with my, my little girls. And I was frustrated that I didn't have it. So that like that failure on my part, that, that bit is what really drove me to learn and to be a real student for how to make this business, this, this elusive business, everyone wants this freedom business that can keep on growing without you. How do you do that? How do you make that transition? And I did an, an enormous amount of testing and research and uh, just just starting helping clients do this to figure this out. And as this process started to develop, I started to realize that this is where my real passion was. And this web design business that um, I, I had been growing, I passed it off to a, a partner that I took on and then she actually um, bought it from me. And then I proceeded on to, to do the work that I do now do at, at the hands-off CEO. Yeah, you know, that that story is um, so common that as people get into business, especially smaller businesses, you start the thing and, and sometimes you can see what it needs to be like, but seeing it and getting it there are two very different things, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And it was even more frustrating because I had done this before as a manager in someone else's business. So I knew it was possible. I had created it, but I just couldn't quite make the connection for myself. So it was pretty frustrating. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's, that's interesting. But, you know, my background is I, I got out of college and, and took over a, uh, another consulting firm uh, from the founder and taking over a business that's already running is very different than starting one uh, from scratch, as I've discovered. And, um, and there are different sets of problems. And so, you know, when, when you try and take that experience that you had with a, a somewhat mature enterprise, even if it's a small enterprise, and, and translate it, it's just, it's a completely different set of, of challenges. So, so what were some of the things, you know, aside from just hunkering down and, and, you know, really getting focused and, and learning the things that you needed to learn, you know, you obviously had a, a major change in your thinking and you came back and, and created an entirely new business. And so what are some of the things that, that went into that? And, and what is it that as you get to those, those roadblocks, what is it that you draw on to, to push through? Those are really great questions because the, because there were some things that specifically helped me. And one of them was just to model on other people's success and I'm watching what other people were doing and saying, I'm going to follow that. And, and, and then, um, something else too, that I learned from, from, um, pretty early on in business was that the people who are more successful, they really liked seeing someone who had a lot of drive. And I was, I was someone who was going out to networking events and always the youngest person there. And not only was I the youngest person there, but I looked even younger by at least five years. So, um, I had people who were asking me how old I was and, um, <laughs> yeah. and, 
I realized later on it was because they thought that I was in high school. And, um, and I thought it was, it was very rude, but, but anyway, I, but what I found by, by being the, the really hardworking one, and it was clear that people took me under their wing and I had a lot of people and I still do. I have a lot of people who take me under their wing and help me because they see, they, they see some characteristics that, um, they, that they value. And, um, so I think that more than anything that's helped my success is just other people saying, I like you and I'm going to help you. And um, I am not afraid to admit that. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> th you know, this is a this is a journey that we we go on uh, together. It's it's not something that, that you can do alone. And, and so I think that's fa fantastic. So, um, well, thanks for sharing that story. And. Um, we're going to be right back in just a minute with more from Mandy and, uh, Mandy, I want to find out what you're working on now. That's really got you excited in your business. Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast, leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes, you can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. All right, we're back with Mandy Elfson. And uh, Mandy, you know, you've got this really unique business called the Hands Off CEO. And, um, and I know that's got you really fired up. And I'd love to find out uh, from you uh, what you're most excited about and the impact that you're making with the business now. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, what I'm most excited about is the, the impact that I can make in the business owner's life. And it's not just about growth. Becoming a hands-off CEO is what allows you to contain all, contain and keep up with all the growth that's coming into your business and, and have freedom. But what really is exciting to me is what that can do for the business owner's life and what they're able to do as a result of that, um, whether it's writing a book or do, doing humanitarian aid work or it's spending more time with their family, it just in some way, it's, it's enriching their life and also helping the world. And that's why I do the work that I do. I, I, it, just growth for growth's sake just doesn't excite me. And I, I wanna help people and that's why I do the work that I do. So when a business owner comes to you, I, I mean, I can imagine what some of the challenges are. I mean, they, you get into a place um, especially as you're growing a company, you start to go through transitions. And, and the first one is just getting it off the ground and getting enough forward momentum and enough customers and cash flow and all that. But once you kind of get that done, you know, I, I see businesses that, that start to approach, you know, for, for a typical service business, when they get up, you know, towards the million dollar in revenue mark, some things change in terms of the, the role that the CEO has got to play. And, and having been through that, that pivot, um, it's not always the easiest thing to do. So as you're working with the business owners that, that you work with, what are some of those inflection points and, and the challenges that they run into? Okay. So the, I, I love that you mentioned that million dollar mark. I noticed that too, but I also noticed, um, a mark around like 250 K for a service business owner, uh, um, $250,000 a year. And this is, this is where uh, they, they, so there, there are these different points where 
you uh, where they max out on growth and what they need to essentially do is, is find more time. And, and, um, what, what can be tricky as you're reaching a million dollars and beyond is that typically you start putting together processes in your business already. So you kind of feel like, all right, I've already done that. What else can I do? And it, and it feels like you've done those things at, at the, the quarter million to half million mark. That's really where you need to start putting into processes in place. But, um, but then once you're getting to a million and three million, it's where you're need, you need to be looking at these, these processes you have and having a way of, um, a process for how you're using the processes, basically like how you're going to be managing your people and how you're going to, to be empowering your staff to be running things without you. Because what is essentially happening for most businesses I, I work with and I, and I see is that, that, um, there's even with like an organized way of running the company, everything still comes right back to them. It's all, all the decisions keep coming back to them. And the reason why is because they've trained their people to do it that way. And even though they want them to do it another way, even though they may even tell them, to do it the other way. But the fact that they're, they are allowing that to keep coming back to them, they're communicating that it's okay. And that this is how I want to be running the company. So, so, so that, that is, is kind of what happens at that stage. And, and that's where you need to be making a shift and communicating with your people in a different way and empowering them and, and really being looking at what the breakdowns are in the company. And like the breakdowns are actually what leads you to understanding and, and getting through the breakthroughs, getting through uh, understanding where the gaps are in the processes so that you can, you can have a standardized in your company in a way that you don't ever have this problem again, but more importantly, someone else can ha handle it when it does happen and they can handle it to make sure that things are, are being done the right way every time. So you've said a couple of things that I think are really important that I want to highlight. And, and the first was that, that to make the shift. And uh, in other words, when you've kind of plateaued with growth, the only way to get growth going again is for the CEO to find more time. Right. And, um, I don't think anybody ever looks at it like that. And, and I think that's a really important distinction that, that you've identified there. Um, I think most people will look at if we've plateaued at, you know, with growth, we've got to focus on sales or we've got to focus on marketing or we've got to, you know, add staff or, you know, to create capacity or, or whatever. But but really focusing on the, the amount of time the CEO has free to do something different. I think that's pretty interesting. How how are you approaching freeing your, your clients up? So when you're working with somebody what, what are the things that you look for to free up their time? I'm glad that you are seeing this as the foundation to everything, because this is actually what's missing to a lot of growth, um, approaches out there. Uh, I believe it's kind of missing from the e-myth, which is why a lot of service businesses struggle to implement this into their own company, because this is the missing piece. And it's, um, and I saw this was a missing piece after so many people were saying, I want to work with you and I can't work with you. And I realized the missing piece was they needed to find more time and that, that impacts everything. So I, I have, there, there are four different steps for how to, to find more time. If you, if you want to get down to like just the brass tacks of it. Um, and, and the first one is to eliminate then to consolidate to automate and then to delegate and, and, and in that order. And, and when you're, when you think about it from that perspective, <clears throat> then you can clear off your plate relatively quickly 
But the process I walk my clients through first when I work with them is to look through that list there and I help have them do time tracking for two reasons. One of them, I can look through it and help them understand what is going to be the highest leverage points. But the other thing is it creates a mental shift for you. And while you're tracking your time, like in 15 minute increments, highly detailed, um, you have a shift that happens when you realize just how much time you waste on stupid things. And it, it causes you to look in the mirror and change things immediately. I mean, I hate time tracking. I hate it. And, and I asked my clients to do it and it makes a big difference for them. So anyway, from, from doing that exercise, it helps me to look at, for us to look at together, what are these top three leverage points that they can make? And between, um, just, just a couple of them, we'll carve out, um, usually 40 plus extra hours per month. And most clients I work with, it's between 40 and 60 extra hours per month, just with a couple tweaks. We're talking wow. about tweaks that should take more than less than an hour or two to implement. That's huge. sometimes as little as 20 minutes. It, it That's is a huge. week. Exactly. It's an extra week. And that time they're supposed to, unless if, if they're working like over 60 hours a week, that time is just to go back to their family and they just cut it off. Um, if they're already working a reasonable hour, uh, reasonable hours, then that time immediately goes back to their marketing. They have, that's how they keep on growing. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, that's, that's my fine time now process. That's pretty amazing. Um, and, and I, I, it's just such a great place to start because, you know, as we're working with our clients, one of the things they run into all the time is that, yes, they want to grow and they want to do more marketing and all that. But I have yet to have a client come to us who was sitting around going, yeah, I got about four hours a day that I don't do anything with, you know, <laughs> it's when they want to do more marketing, it's always like, okay, how can we shoehorn this in to an already overpacked schedule? And, um, and so we run into it as a challenge as well with people all the time. It's like, well, how am I going to implement this? Well, the truth is, unless you start getting stuff off your plate, you can't implement anything new at the end, of, you know, literally at the end of the day, you're out of time. And, right. uh, and, and so I think that's a fantastic place to start. Now, you mentioned something else that I think is really critical here. And that's offloading decision making. And I see a lot of business owners really struggle with this. And I think a lot of them don't really recognize that as as the key lever. I mean, you think about delegation and it's, oh, I'll get stuff off my plate. But unless you can delegate the decision making around it, it's coming right back to you the minute they hit a brick wall. Exactly. And what's and and um, whenever I'm suggesting my clients do this, which is all the time, I always tell them that they need to do this, <laughs> is that you need to be looking at what is missing from you being able to do that. And usually what's it, it, it's there's, there's a couple of things that's missing. Sometimes it's like a simple process that you need to, to have to, to outline how are we going to, um, like, for example, before we had on, had this, this call, Steve, you had your assistant, um, send, send me a process that you created you, or maybe you had her to create, but you had a, a very specific process for how you'd be able to make this interview go well. And for you to delegate that to her, you had to, to, um, to look at that and make sure that this is the way you had it done. So you need to have a framework for how you want things done in the first place. You need to have a framework for how you're going to be making decisions. So my clients put together a list of principles, um, that are specific enough for you, for their people to understand Okay, this is how we want things. Th th these are how the decisions are made in the company. And then um, th they can go to those decisions and th they should know them and understand them, but they can always go back to them and say, this is how 
this is this decision is in line with this. And are they going to make decisions correctly 100% of the time? No. But if you look at it from the the, the grand perspective, that if they're making good decisions 80 90% of the time, then you're going to your business is going to be able to grow a whole lot faster. And you know, if you're not if you're not making mistakes, you're just not moving fast enough. And that's that's just the reality of it. Well, and so just I, let go. I have a little bit different perspective to that. Yeah, you're going to have people that make mistakes and no matter how good the process is, they're going to be there. And the truth is, I mean, I've yet to meet a business owner who hasn't made a decision that they wish they'd made differently. So I'm not sure that as the CEO, you're necessarily any better. You're just different. And of course, if it's your decision, you you know, you don't have anybody to go down the hall and, and yell and scream at. But the way I look at that is, yeah, they're going to make some bad decisions. Some of those may cost you some money, but that's the price of freedom. What's it worth to you to be out of the business, right? Because um, that's really right. what you're buying is you're buying them doing it. And in my experience, having been through a lot of these processes before in, in growing my first business, you know, they they make mistakes early but it, those are usually pretty quickly corrected. And then they start making decisions the way that you would make them. And, um, and that's really powerful. Yeah. I love that you said that. And something I might add to that too, is that you need to create an environment in your organization where it's okay to make mistakes because we are trained, at least in the United States and in Canada, we're trained to not make mistakes in school. It, it's all about uh, you, you, um, you're very careful about making sure you don't make a mistake because there are huge penalties that you'll, you'll be, you'll look stupid and, um, you, you'll get chastised from your teacher if you make these mistakes. So from a very young age, it's been drilled into us to not make mistakes. So you have to undo that with your employees because what happens is they will delay making a decision because they'll, and they're afraid that it's going to be the wrong one. So, um, one of the principles in my business is that mistakes make us better so that we always learn from our mistakes so that it'll never happen again. And then when you look at it from that empowering perspective and also be aware of what decisions can be made by other people and not, because there's some things that are pretty critical that you're just not going to entrust to people and then, and, um, that, that haven't proven themselves first. So that there's, there's, there's obviously that, um, that element of it, but, it, but if you look at mistakes as an opportunity to improve, then it can be very empowering for your team. Yeah, totally. Well, and I, and I think, you know, just to lay the, the foundation for this, I mean, the assumption has got to be that you've got good people that are generally well-intentioned and want to do the best for you. Um, if you don't have that, you got more problems than, than what we're talking about here, you know, um, and, right. and that they, they've got enough, you know, baseline training that you've given them to, to be able to do that. And I think if those two things are in place, it, it becomes a lot easier. And yeah, mistakes are going to happen. They're always going to happen. Um, you know, but if you start really asking yourself, well, in this situation, if, if they made a mistake, what's the worst that could happen? You pretty quickly realize that there are only a very few things where that, what, what's the worst that could happen answer is so bad that it's, it's worth you making the decision. Right. And th something else to add to that too, is that I'll tell my clients to 
make a list of the things that like are absolutely mission critical. They cannot get wrong. For me, one of them is that you cannot spell a client's name wrong. You can't do it. It's just absolutely not acceptable. So if you, if you make it really clear and help them understand that, like, because you, they might have a list of a hundred things that they have to do right now, if you don't know out of those a hundred things, which ones are the most important, then it's going to, you're going to really struggle to get them all right. So if, but if you know that like these top five, these top 10 things have to be done exactly according to this at this time, then, um, you can eliminate a lot of the, the, the most painful mistakes. So how do you take a business owner who maybe they've been running a business for a little while and it's sort of operating the way it's been operating? A lot of times that becomes unconscious to them. How do you start to take them through a, a process where they take that unconscious part and now they start to make it conscious? They start to document this stuff um, because I can tell you, like most business owners are are going to go, gosh, yeah, I got to sit down and write processes, but that does not sound like a lot of fun. I'd rather go sell something, you know? Right, exactly. And, and the answer is you aren't supposed to sit down and write processes. Your people are going to be writing processes for you. Oh, I like that and, idea. Um, yeah, so, so you're not, you don't do it. You're delegating it to other people. Um, the other thing is, too, you don't sit down there and just lock yourself in a closet and just document your whole business. If you look, if you read it, read some of the business processes books, they'll tell you to do that. That's wrong. Don't do that. What you want to do is look at your um, where your highest leverage points are and where your highest leverage points are, are in your breakdowns. What are the things that are already broken? Um, where are your clients complaining where, um, what's taking you a lot of time or just areas where you just want to pull your hair out every time you think about it, that's where you start. And then what that does is it's going to, it's you, you might build a quick process that, um, and I'll, and I'll give you, if, if we have time, I can, I can break down real quick how to, how to do that. But sure. you take this, this, this quick, you could take this process and, and it, may, it might take you an hour to implement if it's something that is a little bit larger and then you might delegate out part of it that might take one of your staff members three hours to implement it. But then when you look at it, it might, if it saves you five hours a week or, and just an enormous amount of, of stress, then what you now have is you have free extra five hours that you can then use that to invest in, in more of your process development. If, if that's the, if that's what you want to do at that time. So you, you, you do it in a way where you look at, 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 at the breakdowns and you keep fixing them one at a time. And, um, and then you, you just you just do it in in a you just look at the the where the biggest priorities are based on your breakdowns and you just keep on um, knocking it off as you go along. So you're really talking about building it into the flow. I mean, as something breaks down, you fix it, you make a process so that it never really breaks down again. And and yep. by, it sounds like by doing it that way, it's you know you sort of take it a bite at a time and and it's manageable. Um, and you said you've got your approaches to get the employees themselves to do this. So this is actually not yes. adding any work to the entrepreneur. It's, it's really right. putting it on the team. Exactly. And, and one of the, the first things to do is, is just, it's is to sit down and think to yourself, you know, what needs to actually have happened. I had a client that came to me one time and he's like, I need to document my whole marketing process. Can you, I need to get this all sorted out. So help me do this. So I took a look at this giant mind map that he had and, um, that he had written out all over and we took to look, took a look at it. I'm like, all right, what are the first things we need to eliminate on this? Because you don't need a process for all of these and you might not even be needing to doing it. And what we did is from looking at this whole map, we, um, we identified what was actually driving the most success for him and for his company. This was like a $3 million company, by the way, just to give you context. But this example applies to every business, I think. So 
we, we um, looked at what's driving the most success in his business and what are the bare minimums in each one of these areas, like in the social media, he needed to have a presence, but did he need to have 20 posts out a day? No, he like literally was at least 10 posts a day. So we, we look at, we looked at all the things that we could eliminate and we eliminated at least 60% of the list. And then from there we looked at, okay, what needs to be documented out? So then, then the next step is to, to look at what is it going to take for this person to do it the right way. So there's, there's a couple ways you can do it. My, my favorite way is just to do a screencast and to, um, to show, to show the right way to do it. You, it, it, so you just, um, turn on the screen and just talk as you're doing it and take a real example as you're doing it, because then it, it, you, you won't miss steps. And then you, um, pass that off to your employee and then tell them that I need you to, to I need you to write down these steps, send it back to me. And then you review the steps. You make sure that they're correct and that you understand your understanding right there, that they have a good understanding of it. And, and then, um, they've just documented out a process and you could do this with contractors too. And they are building out processes and they don't even know it. And I've had clients do this with specific skill sets, even that they now own in their business because they had, had contractors that part of their contract was to, 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 to write down every step that they take. So, um, Anyway, that, that, that's your baseline for a process. And then that's how you also ensure that it's done correctly each time. That's, I feel really good right now because that's what we do. So anytime we, we're creating it, well, not anytime we're creating a process, if I'm doing something that I want to offload, I'll often do a little, um, you know, a screencast like that and hand it off to somebody on, on the team and just tell them, look, go make this into a, a checklist. We keep all of our stuff in Google Docs so that everybody's got access to it. And, and we've got kind of a little format and they just go in and, and kind of, you know, work right through it, uh, which saves me a ton of time. I can, I can go through and explain it verbally and show if it's a you know technology thing in a matter of minutes, what could, it might take me an hour to actually write the thing down. So they're, they're writing it down. They're creating the process. And I find that really good because then they'll come back and ask questions about stuff that I left out. Right. And inevitably I will have left out something important and they'll try and replicate it and it's not in there. And so it's a great check on the process. Um, so I, I feel really good. We're doing something right around here. That's awesome. <laughs> you are, you are. And a lot of my clients use Google docs too. And I use a Google docs for my business too. I, I think it's great. And there's, there's other tools you can use, but just at a basic, just linking everything within one Google doc works really well. That's great. So, um, Mandy, I know you help, um, CEOs, through this process who are, you know, when they're trying to get more freedom and get, get some things documented and get it off their plates. So what are the best places for people who they've listened to this and they want to start um, doing some things? Where should they go and find you and find more about what you do? Okay. I have, um, I have a resource I'd like to share with everyone here. It's actually my, it's a five step strategy for how to actually make the business run without you. And it's, this is the exact checklist, the big picture checklist that my clients use to help them understand where, where the deficient in their company to make it run without them. And, um, just ultimately so they can keep up with growth. I work with companies that are at a place where they can't quite keep up with growth and they want to keep growing, but they just don't have any more time to, to do it. So if you go to handsoffceo.com forward slash roadmap, then you can download this, uh, this checklist. And it also has a link to where you can find, um, one simple tweak that will help you find 20 extra hours per month. Wow. That's huge. 
Thanks for sharing that. And uh, we'll be sure and, and link that in the show notes so everybody can uh, find the link. You want to repeat the URL one more time? Sure. It's handsoffceo.com forward slash roadmap. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I encourage everybody to go get that. Um, I've actually been through your fine 20 hours um, uh, exercise and uh, and it's amazing. And uh, I found a bunch of times. So uh, good. So hopefully yeah. more than 20 hours. Yeah, that's, I, that's I, like the bare, bare minimum. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't remember what the number was. It's been a little while since I've done it, but I did it uh, probably six months ago. And uh, yeah, and uh, made it made a huge difference. So uh, thanks for sharing that. Been great to, to talk with you today, Mandy. And thanks for, for sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks, Steve. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes.